Well, this morning we, uh, we saw the vision uh, of the one new man. The church is not just a congregation. Uh, it's not only just a house, a dwelling place. The church is the body of Christ, is an organism, and even the more, the church is a person. I don't know how many of us have this realization that the church is actually a person, a, what Paul, that Paul calls a new man, a person. And, uh, <clears throat> and in this person, not only is he alive, is he living, but this person has a personality, just like you and I. Uh, not only that we are breathing, you know, we have blood circulating, but we have our mind, we have uh, a will that we, we how to make decision, uh, we analyze, we think, we love. So <clears throat> the church is not just a kind of a congregation uh, where believers come together. The church actually is a person, a corporate person, not many persons, but one person, one person with uh, <clears throat> a personality that is Christ himself being lived out and expressed through us. And <clears throat> tonight we go on to see how this one new man is being lived out, being expressed. Uh, uh, <clears throat> the general uh, subject of this conference is on the living of this new man. Not only we want to see the vision of this new man, what this new man is, the burden in this conference is for us to see how this new man can be lived out in our daily life. Um, <clears throat> so, beginning in this message, we want to see this crucial matter of taking Christ as our person for the one new man. In God's economy, there is only one person, and there is only one way. This one person is the all-inclusive Christ, and the one way is the cross. The cross, it is God's intention to work this unique person, Christ, the all-inclusive Christ, into his chosen people. This all-inclusive Christ is the center of God's economy. He is God's pleasure. He is God's delight. God's economy is about this one person. Strictly speaking, it's not about you or me. It's about Christ. It's about this one person, Christ, to be dispensed, to be worked into all of his chosen people. And the way that God takes to do this is the one way of the cross. Very simple. God's economy is to have one person worked into us through the one way of the cross. Where everything, every person, every element which are not compatible with that person needs to be crossed out, needs to be eliminated by the cross. So eventually what remains is just Christ and Christ alone. The church 
It's not just, it's not you and me. The church must be Christ. As Colossians 3 tells us, Christ must be all and in all. There cannot be Jew and Greek. There cannot be circumcision or or uncircumcision. Old, young, slave, free man, whatever status is. But only Christ who is all and in all. Well, what does it mean by Christ being the person? This is the crucial matter tonight. Um, What does it mean by taking Christ as the person? And how how does it differ from having Christ as our life? For many years, you know, saints have been uh, enjoying Christ being our life. Right? We enjoy Jesus says, I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Hallelujah for life. Whenever we touch life, we are energized, we are refreshed, we are supplied. This is what Christ comes to supply us with. He did not come to give us laws to keep, commandments to obey. He comes to dispense life to us. I come that they may have life. And Colossians 3, 4 tells us Christ is our life. He is not just our Savior who died for our sins 2,000 years ago. He is our life now. He is our life today, subjectively. But now we go on a little further to see Christ is not only our life, but He is our person. What's the difference between taking Christ as our life and taking Christ as our person? Well, maybe an illustration may help. Well, let's say in the morning, you're having some time with the Lord, enjoying the Holy Word for morning revival, and you're pray reading some verses, and then you're praying, calling on the Lord's name. You You have a good time over the Word of God, You surely touch the life-giving spirit, and you enjoy life. And while you are having your morning revival, suddenly your wife calls you. Dear, come for breakfast. Well, you are in the midst of your enjoyment. So you you didn't even bother to respond. You were just there, you know, enjoying, you know, the the ministry, pray reading the, the verses. And then again, again. Again, the voice comes, right? Breakfast is here. Come, quickly. Well, eventually, you put the book down and you came out. I'm having morning revival. What's what's the hurry to, to have me for breakfast? I don't care for breakfast. Well, and your wife said, well, the food is getting cold. Right? You don't care for breakfast. I've cooked you, cooked you the breakfast this morning. You were just having a minute ago, having enjoyment of Christ as your life. And then at this juncture, you got challenged by your spouse. Right? And then she, you know, he wanted, she wanted you to, uh, to, uh, uh, to come out quickly, promptly, to eat breakfast. And right there, how did you respond? Did you 
take Christ as your life? Most likely not. You responded with your person. You reacted with your person. I, I don't care. I don't care if to eat. I want to eat the Word of God. It sounded very good. It sounded very spiritual. But, sorry to say, maybe when you speak thy word, you were speaking it by your own person, by you. You were enjoying Christ's life just a few minutes ago when you were praying, when you were singing, musing on the word of God. But then when actual, when actual situation like this arise, right away our person comes up. So a little illustration like this shows us there is a difference between just enjoying Christ as life and taking Christ as the person. Maybe as you were hearing your wife getting upset at you for not responding quickly, as you are about to respond back, react back, something within you say, shut up. <laughs> Someone within you say, shut up. Well, instead of, in your, you know, you are in your, in your logical mind, you know, trying to, she is wrong. She is, uh, she, she, she is uh, too much caring for the physical things. We, just, we are here to enjoy the Lord. You want to defend yourself. You want to vindicate yourself. As the words trying to come out of your mouth, someone would you say, within you say, shut up. Shut up. So at that moment, if you would just inwardly call Lord Jesus. Don't, don't call aloud. Don't call too loud. Just inwardly, oh Lord Jesus. Don't let her hear. She may not listen. She, may not, she should not have heard you call. You just inwardly, Lord Jesus. Then you swallow your word back. You inwardly say amen. You quietly sat down and ate your breakfast. There, Christ is not only the life that supplies you, but He is also the person who directs you what to say and what not to say. Many times, you know, to enjoy the Lord as life, when we are in the meetings, when we are praying, when we're reading the Word of God, but I, I admit, we do enjoy. Christ's life in those occasions. But much of the time, when we are at work, at home, interacting with people in different occasions, our person comes out. I come, I comes out. The I comes out. Instead of having Christ being, allowing Christ being lived out of us, I am being lived out. My thought my reasoning, my defense. And I realize we all have failures in this, in this matter. To enjoy Christ's life is not as hard. But to take Christ as our person is nearly impossible. Because we have been raised up this way. Right? Throughout our life, we have been born with our natural life. I've been born like this. I've been born slow. I've been born quick. I've been born 
like to react. This is my disposition. I, I am who I am. That's the way I am. Take it or leave it. But here, brothers and sisters, yes, you are who you are, but now you, are, you have been reborn with another life, with another person. Now this Christ desires to, to live out of us. So we are in this, uh, this crucial matter. I hope, I believe, you can see by this simple illustration the difference between taking Christ as life and taking Christ as our person. To us, there may be a distinction. Actually, with God, there's no distinction. Actually, He expects that as we enjoy Christ as life, this life is a person. This life is not just something, some element. This life is actually the person of Christ. That's why 1 John 5.12 tells us, He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. As far as God is concerned, His Son is the life. That life is the Son of God. That life is not something of the Son. This life is the Son. If you don't have the Son of God, you do not have life. So as far as God is concerned, the life of God, the life of Christ, and the person of Christ are the same. But in our experience, many times we only take the part of the life, of the supply, but we don't go too far enough to take Christ as our person. Because taking Christ as our person involves the denying of our old person, right? of our natural person. So this is, uh, <clears throat> this is the reason why for 2,000 years, although Christ created the new man on the cross, as we saw in Ephesians 2.15, the new man has been created. It's already in existence. But the new man remains in a babyish stage for years. It has not been able to grow. It has not been able, has not been able to, to, to be manifested, to be full grown. Because many of the children of God will not, are not willing to take Christ as their person, Will not, are not willing to deny who they are, their preference, their choice, their disposition. So the new man remains babyish until God's children can be brought to the stage that by His grace we are willing to deny ourselves, to deny the old person, and to take the new person, Christ himself, as our person. Then the new, per the new man will grow. The new man will be brought on to maturity. I believe this is what God is after today. This new man has been created. 
and this new man must become full grown. And the key is in our taking Christ as our person, that He may grow in us, then He will mature in us, and that will be the full manifestation of the new man, and that will be the preparation of the bride that will consummate this age to bring our dear bridegroom back, and that will be the kingdom of God. So let's take a look at this matter in detail. One says, for the new man, we all need to take Christ as our person. He says, Christ is both the life of the body and the person of the new man. The church is the body, the church is the body, and this body needs Christ to be in it as life. The church is also the one new man, and this one new man needs Christ to be in him as his person. As mentioned this morning, the church as the body of Christ is the one new man. The body of Christ and the one new man are not two separate entities. The body and the, and the new man has two different emphases. The first, the body emphasizes on the aspect of Christ being the life, enabling us to move. And the man, the new man, emphasizes on the person, the personality, enabling this person to make decision, to have a living. In the, new, in the one new man, the natural man has no place. For here, Christ is all and in all. It does not say that Christ is most of the items, or Christ is even the first item. It says Christ is all. It gives no room for you. Sorry. It gives no, no space for you. It doesn't mean that Christ is number one. I'll take the second plot, spot. right? He can take most of the spots. I'll take a, little, a few spots. No. Christ is all. There's no room for Americans, Chinese, Germans, Spanish, Russians, no room for that. There's only room for Christ. So whatever we are, naturally, have to be eliminated. Right? This matter of taking Christ as our person is actually the story of our salvation. Right? Isn't this true? that when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we did not just enter or accept a new thought, a new idea, a new concept called Christianity. No, when we receive Christ, believe in Christ, we receive a person into us. To be a Christian is not to be one who just adopt a kind of a, a, a new idea. Or for us to have a new set of mind, thinking, now I need to be Christian-like, 
I should be going to church. I should be studying, going to read the Bible and behave in a, in a Christian-like manner. That's not what Christian, to be a Christian is. To be a Christian is to be one who has received Christ into him. That's why, according to the, the New Testament, as soon as a person receives Christ, believes in Christ, he needs to be baptized. What does baptism mean? Baptism is not a, a, ceremony, a ceremony to join the church. Many consider, oh, I, want to, I need to be baptized in order to belong to a church, to as, as my entrance to a church. No. Baptism has nothing to do with a ceremony to, to your, as your membership to a church. No. He who believes must be baptized. Baptism is a declaration. Baptism is a testimony declaring to the whole universe that today, by receiving Jesus Christ as my Savior, as my life, now my old man is buried. My old person is now buried in this water. Now when I arise from this water, a new man emerges. Now Christ lives. As Paul says in Galatians 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. To be a Christian is not to become uh, spiritual, to become holy, to become a better person. To be a Christian is to have Christ living within him. And the old person is over, is finished, is terminated. So this is what God's salvation is about. It's not about just giving you a new set of teaching, a new set of do's and don'ts. God's salvation is to give us a new person, giving us his son, Jesus Christ, to be not only our life, to be our person. That from now on is this person who lives. Not I, but Christ. No longer I, but Christ. This is what Christian life is. So, there's no room in the new man. There's no room for you and me. doesn't matter what kind of attainment you made, what kind of statuses you have, that in, as in the new man, there's no place for us. And there's only place for Christ. Christ is all. And he is in all. And she says, Christ is in all of us, so we all have only one person. And this is the amazing thing. There are, what, billions you know, hundreds of millions of uh, 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 Christians on the earth. But there's only one person. There's so many of us, people-wise, but there's only one person. The same one Christ entered into you and me and her. And each one of us, we all have the same one person. 
Doesn't matter you are Chinese, American, German, you know, Russian or Vietnamese or, 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 or uh, you know, whatever nationality. The, same, the Christ in you is the same Christ who is in me and in him. Amen. Hallelujah. That's why we can genuinely say we are one. We can genuinely say we are brothers and sisters. We all have the same life and even have the same person within us. We can be one because there is a common element within us. The same one person within us. The world can never attain to a genuine unity, to a genuine Harmony or one accord because there's not the common factor. They will use ordinance, they will use laws, they will use regulation to keep everybody abiding so that in order to, to, uh, uh, to collaborate, to cooperate. But there is no, as soon as something is violated, some, it just breaks open. So United Nations can, ne can, never, can never unite. <laughs> can never unite. Because there is not the same one person in all the nations. But among the believers, doesn't matter which part of the country, which part of the world they live in. If they are genuine believer, they have the same Christ in them as in all the other Christians in the rest of the world. Praise the Lord. Our Christ, He is universally great. He can fill every single one of us. He is enough to be dispensed, to be shared, participated in by all of His children. We all have the same life and the same person within all of us. Now, number two says, For the practical existence of the universal one new man, we must reject our old person and live by our new person. Even when the Lord Jesus was on the earth, he told the disciples numerous times, if anyone comes to follow after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross and deny himself and follow me. I don't know if there's any religion in the world would tell people, would tell their followers this. All the other religions tell people to do good, to do your best, to behave. Now to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ, which is not part of today's religion, but into, is to enter into such a relationship with this person, Christ, who has entered into them to be their person, to replace in place of, which requires them to deny themselves. So the Lord Jesus spoke this very clearly, definitely, to his disciples. You want to come to follow me, you must deny yourself. Not just to work hard to improve yourself, to, to adjust yourself, but you have to deny yourself. God does not want us to live. He wants His Son, who is now within us, to live, to live in us. 
Romans 6.6, 6, the reference verse tells us, Our old man has been crucified with Christ. The old man is finished. Your old man, the one that you were born with, is crucified with Christ. Now is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. He says the crucial question in our Christian life is not what we are doing, but who is doing it. Oftentimes when we, when we face certain issues, we analyze, is this good or not good? Right? Is this sinful? Is it not sinful? Is it helpful to people? Not helpful to people. If it is good, then it's okay to do it. We consider the matters themselves, itself. But we don't consider who is doing it. Are you doing it or is Christ doing it? Many years ago, Brother Lee gave a message in Chinese. The, tit the title is very, very strange. The title of that message says, It's not sin or not sin, but I or not I. That is the title of the message. In Chinese, it's, This is a Chinese. It's not sin or not sin, but I or not I. In much of our consideration, when we face certain matters, we just consider only, is this sin, sinful or not sinful? Is it good or bad? Seldom do we consider, Lord, is it me or you? To do this, to go there, to buy this, is it me or you? To eat this dessert, you just count the calories, right? Just, uh, <laughs> if it is, uh, you know, reasonable, so it's okay. Right? If it's too much, it's not okay. But have you ever asked, Lord, is it me who wants to eat this? Or is it you who will eat this? My wife, you know, many times she told me, call on the Lord five times before you eat the ice cream. <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. Well, I don't know. Maybe jokingly, maybe what. Anyway, it's good, helpful. If you would call on the Lord five times before you take that dessert, maybe you will not do it. <laughs> At least you have some consideration. It's not just a matter of calories. It's not a matter of just whether it is a, you know, it's a good thing or a bad thing. But Lord, are you doing it? To buy this tie, is it worldly? Is it uh, not worldly? Or the color... Uh, it, seems, it seems conservative enough, it's, 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 it's acceptable. But even maybe conservative, maybe not so worldly, not so, not so flashy, the Lord says, no, put that down. Have you experienced that? I believe so. To take Christ as our person is a very practical matter. I believe all of us, we have all experienced this in many little areas of our daily life. Christ is not someone just to be talked about in a meeting or just to learn, to read about in the Bible. Christ must be the person 
in our daily living. When you, we walk outside of this meeting hall, you get into your car, get into your home, and get into your relationship with your loved ones, with your friends, all these opportunities to put us to the test. Are we taking Christ as our person? So, it's not what we are doing. We should not justify ourselves to say, well, this is good, this is helpful. It's not what, but it's who. It's me or Christ. Then B says, in our living, we should care for the inward shifting from the old person to the new person. There is an inward shifting. What do we mean by this? I think you can verify, confirm this with your experience. Well, in the Christian life, it's not a matter of an outward adjustment. Oh, that uh, uh, I should not be so, so uh, uh, upset. I should not, should not lose my temper so quickly. You adjust yourself. Right? Now you are a Christian. You remind yourself, I should behave better. I should behave more Christian-like. That is an outward adjustment. But how about an inward shifting? As I, as I uh, illustrated earlier, right, at the breakfast table, and you're about to, to, you have words at your lips, ready to fire out, fire off at your wife. And then there's an inward shifting going on, right? Someone is telling you inside, don't say it. Just shut up and sit down and eat. Oh, there's the shifting. Oh, sometimes I don't know how many times they're shifting back and forth. Me and then Lord Christ and me. Sometimes you just in, in one minute we're going back and forth about 10, 20 times. Oh, you want, you want to go, you want to say amen, but oh, that is not reasonable. I want to, I want to uh, uh, you know, vindicate for myself. And as you're about to say, something bothers you so much, you shift it. There is a constant shifting. There is, a, there is an inward shifting. This inward shifting within us is because there is another person within us. Sorry, after you get saved, you get complicated. Before you get saved, there's no shifting. That's it, one gear, and you just go. I like to, I like to go to the movie. I just go. I like to do this. I just go. No shifting. One gear, and that's it. Now, after you got saved, another person came in. Another person came in. Oh, he objects. Oh, you want to do this? Some objection goes on. And this inward shifting is what the Christian life is about. You know, many years ago, I heard this testimony, which I really enjoy. This new brother who just got saved. And... uh, you know, he, his, his hobby was to dance, go to a nightclub to dance. He likes dancing. And after he, after he believed in Christ, so no one told him that, uh, you know, he should no longer dance. So he, as usual, he went to the nightclub, and uh, he drove up to the nightclub, and he opened the door. And something within him just, just kind of, he felt nauseated. He felt nauseated. He just, I don't, I just don't want to go. And uh, he was struggling inside, his foot out and come back in. You know, he, what's wrong? He just said, you know, he, he was, 
at least five, ten minutes sitting in the car. He wanted to go out, but something was just not comfortable. So eventually, he just slammed the door and drove home. He didn't know what happened. And he shared this with a brother, and the brother said, because you are safe now. Another person has come into your life. Christ did not want you to go. No one taught him. No one told him, you should not do this, thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do this. Now there is an inward shifting going on. Because another person has come in. Causing him to be this kind of inward struggle. Yes, apparently, you know, at that moment is kind of... Uh, um, not comfortable because of the struggle that you, you, you get yourself involved. But actually, it's a wonderful experience, a wonderful struggling. You are struggling with God. God is struggling with you. And in that, in that struggling, eventually, you know, the Lord, the Lord won. He win. He wins. He, 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 he won. So this, you know, this inward shifting is very good. It's a good confirmation that another person lives within us. Number three says, when we live our life by taking Christ as our person, especially in making decisions, our living will be the living of the universal one new man. In the matter of taking Christ as our person, the, <clears throat> the primary thing that is manifested in our living is in the area of decision-making. And every moment, every day, we make decisions. The, the moment you open your eyes, you wake up in the morning, you start making decisions. You have to decide, who, where am I going to go? What I'm, even you have to decide what kind of what clothes I'm going to put on today, what breakfast I'm going to eat, right? There's a lot of decisions just from, from the moment you're awake to the moment you lay down your head, you start making decision after decision. But the point is, who is making that decision? You? You just based on your best religious judgment, make your decisions, or you say, Lord Jesus, I love you. I take you as my person. You are the one, you must be the one who makes the decision. What should I wear today? How should I style my hair? Many decisions involve our, you know, our, in our business contact, how to talk to people. Christ must be the one who makes decisions. Listen, in these verses, reference here in John, <clears throat> chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, the Lord Jesus repeatedly, number of times, when he was on the earth, he told people, what? My food is to do the will of him who sent me. I came not to do my own will, but to do my Father's will. I came not to seek my own will, but seek my Father's will. The Father has a will. He has a desire. He wants to accomplish. Now when Christ the Son came to the earth, He did not come to carry out His own agenda. Even though He, was, he Himself was a great man, 
He is the very Son of God. He knew he should know what to do. But yet, time and time again, he told people, I came to seek my Father's will. To do my Father's will is my food. It seems that there is a person who lived on this earth who does not have a will of his own. He took the Father's will as his will. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, where the Lord went to pray before he was being captured, there he was struggling, praying, if possible, Father, that this cup be removed from me, referring to his crucifixion. But he said, yet, not as I will, but as you will. Even at that moment, Humanly speaking, he would rather not to go through with that suffering. It's too painful. Even in, in Christ's humanity, he felt the pain of going through that crucifixion. So he prayed the Father, if it be possible that this cup be removed. But then he said, yet, not as I will, but as you will. He chose the Father's will. He denied his own will. He preferred not to go through with it, but he is willing to lay that aside. If it is the Father's will for him to go through with the crucifixion, let that will be done. If the Son of God, who came to the earth as he was God himself, he subjected himself to the Father's will, how much more we, as his followers. God wants us to follow his son the same way. Living on the earth every day as we make decision from morning to night, if we learn to say this, Lord, may your will be done. As you're about to enter into a certain transaction, as you're about to Confront a certain situation. There's so many things. Lord, how about your will? You, your, you may have a certain preference, desire to see a, a certain matter resolved in a certain way. But you also recognize the Father has a will in this matter. And your desire is that, Father, your will be done. Not my will. This is to take Christ as our person. Christ was the first one ever lived in human history who lived by the Father's person. He lived by the Father. He lived for the Father. He chose the Father's will as his own will. He says, the body is for moving. The new man is for living. And 80 to 90% of our living is in making decisions. This is what makes the new man, the bringing forth of the new man so difficult. Because on the one hand, we enjoy Christ as our life, as our supply, as our nourishment, as our grace. But when it comes to the matter of decision making, I want to make decisions. 
I want to be in control. No, hardly any one human being would like to give up their right to control and turn it over to the Lord. Lord, your will be done. You are the one. You are the one. You must be the person. You are the owner. You are the decision maker. Dear saints, I believe, in spite of how difficult it seems, God's grace will bring us there. He will. In ourselves, no one would willingly do that. But the Lord, by His grace and His mercy, He will be able to bring us to that point. That we are willing, eventually will be subdued. We will allow Him, yes, Lord, I surrender. I let you do this. I let you make all this decision. Where I should go, where I should live, what I should do. When that point, when we arrive at that point, that you, can, you will see, that's when the new man emerges. The new man is manifested. It doesn't matter where are you. You may be in Africa, you are in Germany, in, in France, in Spain, in China. doesn't matter. There's only one person. The same one person. He is the one who makes the, the decision. You know, this is why I, I appreciate the blending in the Lord's recovery and in, in all these years are coming together. I truly believe, even in the last 21 years, in spite of our brother Lee has been gone, but yet the churches is, told, is all together by the Lord's grace and mercy, are still willing to come together, right? To be led by Him. To allow Him to speak to us, to lead us. Yes, I admit, we are not perfect. We are not fully there. But surely, we have come a long way. Instead of each one, we just, after brotherly gone, we just, each one goes off to our own, to, to our own way. We all, you know, we all have our own agenda, idea. We want to do something, accomplish something. We can. But yet, it has been 21 years, we are still sticking together. Amen. Isn't this wonderful? If there, are, if there are seven wonders in the world, this must be the eighth one. <laughs> I really mean this. I really mean this. Who are we? What are we? We are nobodies. In capacity-wise, we are nowhere compared to you know, those brothers who are ministers of the age. But yet, here we are. The Lord still keeps us, keeping us here. And we are still sticking together, willing to follow each other. And because we are all learning. I believe so. We're all learning to take Christ as our person. Right? Many times we still fail. We still like to insist our way, our thoughts, our ideas. But eventually the Lord, here and there, use different situations to intervene, to subdue us. Right? So eventually bring us, we are still just here and there in a jig, you know, zigzag way. You know, we're just here still sticking together and going on together. So, 
decision making. 80 or 90% of our living is making decisions. I like this portion, you know, in the Philippians, in the reference verse there, <clears throat> talking about Paul. He was at a point of having to make a decision. He was near martyrdom. He knew his time of departure was close, as at hand. And he had to make a decision. Should I ask the Lord to keep me longer here, or should I go to be with the Lord? So he says, in verse 21, he says, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But if I am to live in the flesh, if this to me is fruit for my work, then I do not know what I will choose. So he says, if it is something related to the fruit of my work, I don't know. I don't know what I will choose. But I am constrained between the two, the two decisions. Having the desire to depart and to be with Christ. This is in, referring to his martyrdom. For this is far better. So he can be relieved from all the pain and all the struggling. He can be with Christ forever. This is far better than verse 24. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Then verse 25. And being confident of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of the faith. In verse 22, he says, I don't know what I will choose. If it is a matter of just the fruit of my work, I don't know what I will choose. But then I believe, even as he was writing, he was still not clear. And never all of a sudden, when he considered, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your, for your sake. Then, he says, being confident of this, I know that I will remain. Isn't this wonderful? A few verses before, he said, I don't know what I will choose. And a few verses later, he says, I know that I will remain. I believe all this happened even as he was writing. When he was writing that, he was genuine. He didn't know. Should I go? Should I not go? But then after he realized, oh, it is more beneficial for you, for your progress and joy. Now I know with confidence I will remain. So this is how Paul made the decision. He was in this strait between two decisions. He learned to take, not his own preference. He preferred to be with the Lord, which is far better. But then as he considers that his remaining with them would mean something for the saints. Then right away he says, being confident of this, I know I will remain. B says in the new man, we take Christ as our person to make plans and to decide how we should live. If we take Christ as our person, we will not decide anything in our life by ourselves. Now the decision-making not only involves, no longer by yourself, now involves Christ. But I would say not only Christ, but even 
all the members as part of the body of Christ, part of the corporate Christ. Our decision-making involves not only Christ the head, but involves one another, Christ the body. I like the verse Philemon. The book Philemon, we know. That book, little short book, one chapter, is what? It's an illustration of how to live the equality in the new man. There's no slave, no master. There was a slave, Onesimus, who ran away from his master, Philemon, and got put into prison. And Paul, he was also in prison, and he preached the gospel to him. He got him saved. So he was like a, his spiritual child. And Paul realized that he, is, he was a slave to Philemon, who was also a believer, who was helped by him very much through his ministry. Now, Paul liked to keep Onesimus after they, get, they were released to keep him for, his, for the Lord's service. But he will not, then he says, I, he wrote this epistle to Philemon, saying, telling, to, telling Philemon, I, like to, I would like to keep Onesimus, knowing that he is your slave. He says something very sweet. He says, but without your mind, I don't want to do anything. Here's a great apostle who rendered help to this Philemon, right? He could have just made the decision himself. I like to keep this Onesimus. I got him safe in the, in the prison. He is my spiritual son. I like to, him to, to be with me, to help me for the spiritual service for the Lord. But yet Paul was so conscious of the fact that this Onesimus also was a slave to this master. And he is also a member of this new man. So Paul says, I don't want to make this decision without your mind. He says, without your mind, I did not want to do anything. So in making a decision, dear saints, it's not just that I prayed and I'm clear I'm going to Timbuktu tomorrow. And you go. The saints, the church, have no idea where you are going, what you are going there for. And all you can say is, I prayed and I, I'm clear. Uh, the Lord sent me there. The Lord sent you there. Maybe it's true. But also remember the Lord who is the head of the body. He is the head. He has the body. He has many members among whom you live, among whom you dwell, how can we do something just independently, say between you and the Lord, ignoring the other members? So practically, in our living of the new man, taking Christ as the person, in our decision-making, we have to consider not only Christ, but even all the, all the members of the body of Christ. I don't mean that you have to check with every saying, you know, to get the approval, uh, uh, to get them. No, that's not what I mean. But living in the church life, we are all related with one another, right? There are some saints whom you have been more related to, you've been fellowshipping with. 
They know you, you know them. So now you, you have a certain feeling to do certain thing or go certain direction. You like to fellowship with one another. So little one says, since we are part of the new man, our decisions and our living should not be ours. They should be the decisions and living of the corporate new man. The living of the new man is a corporate living. This morning we saw the, what is the new man? The one new man. The one new man is just the corporate God-man. The corporate God-man. All the many God-men added together form the one new man, to be the corporate God-man. This God-man living is a corporate living, right? It's not an individual just between you and the Lord, but it's together with all the other God-men. We, are, we have a corporate living, therefore our decisions are corporate decisions and not our personal decisions. Just like Paul in that decision of keeping Onesimus, he realized he had to check with the other members of the body. Okay, now we come to this last section, which, has, uh, which is a point to show us a pattern, how Paul takes Christ as his person for the one new man. There are eight points in eight aspects. Let's all read point A together. It pleased God to reveal not only Christ's love for me, Christ's compassion for me. No, it says, Paul says, it pleased God to reveal His Son in me. This refers to the initiation of God's salvation in our experience. It's not just a matter of Encountering God's love, God's grace, God's mercy. It is a matter of being brought into contact with a person, a living person. The Son of God being revealed into us. This is when salvation begins. It's not only His love, it's not only His compassion. It's not only his loving kindness, but his very person is what brings us our salvation. We are saved because a, a, a wonderful person has been revealed into us. Nothing is more pleasing to God than the unveiling of the living person of the Son of God. We need to be brought into a state where we are full of the revelation of the Son of God and thereby become a new creation with Christ living in us. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. We all began our Christian life by seeing a wonderful person. A wonderful person has been revealed into us. Amen. Then, point B, let's all read also. Now, what has been revealed into us is a person, and now this person begins to live in us. Paul did not say that the life of Christ lived in him, but that Christ the person lived in him. What was revealed into Paul was not just a hope, a good hope, 
by believing in Christ, we will, not, we will go to heaven. That was what salvation is about. No. Salvation, salvation is about a person being revealed into, into us. And now this person begins to live in us. Begins to live in us, together with us. On the one hand, we are terminated. As Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. The me is still there. On the one hand, the, the I is no more. But on the other hand, Christ lives in us. Not just the life of Christ lives in us, but the very person of Christ lives in us. God's economy is that I be crucified in Christ's death and that Christ live in us in his resurrection. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord for baptism. Oh, baptism, again I say, is not a ceremony. It's not a ritual. But it's our testimony to the whole universe. Upon receiving Christ, I am finished. I am terminated. Now another person lives in me in his resurrection. Okay, now point C. Let's read also. This is Galatians 4.19. Paul was very conscious of not just the power of Christ, the grace of Christ. He was very conscious of the very person of Christ. The very person of Christ was revealed into him, and the very person of Christ living in him, and also this person is being formed in him. Just like a mother, right? Pregnant uh, mother. Now he, she is uh, pregnant with, uh, 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 with a child in her womb. And this child initiated, initially is just a little seed. But gradually in time, this seed grows and takes shape. The head was formed, the body, the limbs come forth. And through the nine months, this little, little, little seed to, begins to take shape begins to be formed. Paul used this to illustrate how Christ grows in us. He is not only living in us, but now he is being formed. He is taking shape in us. Now his mind is becoming our mind. His love is becoming our love. His decision is becoming our decision. Now after nine months, there is a, what, they call it a full-term baby, right? Now in your, in your tummy, there is a, another person in there. Another person in there. Even though it's small, but it's complete in all the organs, in all the parts, right? And ready to be delivered. Saints, Christ is being formed in us. Amen. He has been revealed into us. Now he is living in us. He is being formed in us. Little by little, when you meet brothers, you know, like Brother Lee, you know, who has been mature in his, in his spiritual life, allowing Christ to be formed in him through many years, you can see Christ's taste becoming his taste. Christ's de desire becoming this desire. You, you spend time with a person like this, you just, you know, it's not a matter of what he says or what he doesn't say, but you sense the, the presence of Christ. 
you sense the flavor of Christ because Christ is growing, form, being formed in this person. It's not a matter of knowledge. It's not a matter of gifts. But it's a matter of a person being formed in us. So, in, Christ, in Paul's realization, this is what the Christian life should be, is to allow Christ to be formed in them, to have Christ formed in us, is to have Christ fully grown in us. Christ having been born into us, he is now living in us, and he will be formed in us at our maturity. Okay, let's read D. Amen. This person who is living in us, growing in us, being formed in us, now he is making his home. That means he is taking possession. Ephesians 3.17 is a very, very crucial verse in this matter of taking Christ as our person. Paul says that not only let his love dwell in me, let his grace dwell in me, but he says that Christ, the person, makes his home in me, in my heart. Christ, the person, not just his thoughts, not just his, his desire, but the very person of Christ making home. This word making home means what? To settle down. He has to, the song we sang earlier, Oh Lord, move in. Christ wants to move in. Don't just ask him to come for a cup of tea, a cup of coffee. Oh, Christ, come to visit me. I'd like to have a cup of tea with you, to enjoy fellowship with you. After one hour, please, go your way. Stay in the living room. We have a good time, but don't come into my bedroom. We welcome Christ. We like fellowship with him but we don't want him to touch anything further, right? anything personal. But here Paul tells us, this Christ who has come into us, he wants to make his home. He wants to take over your house. I'm staying at Jay's house. He has a very nice house. But I don't think Jay will allow me to change all his wallpaper, the color of his house, change the furniture. I'm just a guest there. After a weekend, it's over, I'm gone. I'm, 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 he will shake my hand and say, see you next year. <laughs> but Christ is not going to see you next year. He is coming in to stay. He is coming in to take possession. He doesn't like the, your, your house color. He doesn't like his furniture. He would like to rearrange. This is what it means to make home. Christ who wants to make his home there. Our heart will become his home. Not your heart. It's your heart, but it's his home. God the Father is exercising his authority through God the Spirit to strengthen us into the inner man that God the Son may make his home deep downward in our hearts. If we allow Christ to have all the room within us, and if we give him the full liberty to do whatever he wants in us, our heart will become his home. Amen? May this also be, may this be all our prayers. Lord, make my heart your home. Shall we pray this together? Lord, may my heart your home. Amen.
Let's read point E. Surely, Paul could say something like this because there's a certain amount of formation of Christ in his being. That he could say he longed for the saints. He was longing to see the saints there in Philippi, but not because he was just uh, uh, you know, very uh, uh, fond of them. He was just very uh, uh, intimate with them. He, but he says, I long after you all, in the inward parts of Christ. What are the inward parts of Christ? Some translation is the, it translated as the bowel, bowel of Christ. The inward parts. The, 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 uh, uh, the affection of Christ. Uh, the inward parts. Referring to the mind, the emotion, the will. Now, Christ's inward parts becoming Paul's inward parts. So he, his feeling toward these saints correspond to Christ's feeling toward them. Paul did not live in his natural inner being. He lived a life in the inward parts of Christ, experienced Christ in his inward parts, and was one with Christ in his inward parts. Paul did not keep his own inward parts, but took Christ's inward parts as his. Paul's inner being was reconstituted with the inward parts of Christ. Don't you long for this reconstitution? Reconstruction of our inward parts with the inward parts of Christ. Okay, point F, let's read. We know the mind is the leading part of our soul, the leading part of our soul. We think. The, our mind considers things, analyzes things. And <clears throat> Paul says, let this mind, referring to the mind of Christ, let this mind be in you. Not just his goodness, not just his mercy, not just his grace, but his very mind. The mind of a person nearly represents that person. That mind, the mind constitute or de de uh, uh, determines his concept of things, his idea of things, his outlook of things. Now, Paul says, let his mind be in, in us. Christ's mind be in us. To let Christ's mind be in us is to take Christ as our person by denying our natural mind and taking his mind. If we intend to take Christ as our person, we must be willing to deny our mind and have our mind replaced by the mind of Christ. Okay, let's read the next point. This is a very particular aspect of Paul's experience of Christ's person in the matter of forgiving. He is referring to this sinful brother who committed a gross sin there in the church in Corinth. After much discipline for a long time, he just felt this person needs to be forgiven. And <clears throat> he says that if I have forgiven anything, it is for your sake in the person of Christ. He forgave this person 
not according to his, his uh, broad-heartedness, not because that, oh, I, I am uh, magnanimous, I'm, uh, I am very uh, 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 broad-hearted, I can forgive. No. Paul says, I'm, I forgive in the person of Christ. And this word, in the person of Christ, in Greek, refers to, in the, some translation uh, translated as, in the index of his eyes. Paul, when he was about to forgive this sinful brother, he looked at Christ's eyes. The eyes, this index, this area of our eyes, when you look at the person whom you, who is close to you, that, that area of the eyes convey the approval or disapproval. You just look at the eyes, you can tell whether he or she is pleased with your decision. He looked at Christ. His eyes, the index of his eyes, which actually refers to the person of the person of Christ. He forgive. He realized Christ has forgiven this person. How can I not forgive him? So his forgiving is not based on himself, his own capacity, or his own criteria. His forgiving is in the person of Christ, according to the index of his eyes. One says, Paul lived Christ in the closest and most intimate contact with him, acting according to the index of his eyes. Paul was a person who was one with Christ, full of Christ, and saturated with Christ. He was a person broken and even terminated in his natural life, softened and flexible in his will, affectionate yet restricted in his emotion, considerate and sober in his mind and pure and genuine in his spirit toward the saints for their benefit. So even in the matter of, ex- of, of exercising forgiveness toward others, we need to experience taking Christ as our person. Okay, the last point, H, together. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Amen. We do not walk. Amen. What is the spirit here is in lowercase spirit. That refers actually to our human spirit. We, have, we need to walk according to our human spirit. But this human spirit, don't forget, has been regenerated by the life-giving spirit who now indwells our spirit. So his spirit and our spirit are now mingled together It is hard to say it is just our human spirit or it is the spirit of the Lord. So we we call this a mingled spirit. Is the Lord's spirit in my spirit mingled as one spirit? In 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Now the Lord's spirit and our spirit have been mingled together as one spirit And the Apostle Paul's charge for us is that now, in doing everything, let us walk according to this mingled spirit. This very spirit actually represents and is the person of Christ. Today, our Christ, he is experienced, realized by us as such a spirit. He is in us. You don't have to close the door to your your study and, and, and pray to 
to the Christ who is in the heavens. No, to, to, to find out what his, his mind is, what his, his will is. He is in your spirit. Amen. He is even one with your spirit. Amen. So when we say, Lord Jesus, when you exercise your spirit to call on his name, right? And you activated your spirit, which is one spirit with the Lord, then his mind fills your mind. His thought fills your thought. So we learn to walk and live according to this mingled spirit. Now, as New Testament believers, we don't go by what the law says, as in the Old Testament, what the Ten Commandments says. If there are any commandments in the New Testament, this is it. Walk according to your spirit. This is the unique New Testament commandment for us to walk according to this spirit. This spirit is the very person of Christ. In practicality, to take Christ as our person is to have our being wholly according to the mingled spirit. In our daily life, we should not have our being according to teaching, feeling, concepts, or circumstances, but according to the mingled spirit, taking Christ as our person for the universal one new man. Praise the Lord for this pattern of Paul. In his consciousness, in his realization, Christ is not just some thing, some feeling, some power. Christ is a person who has been revealed into him, living in him, being formed in him, and little by little, even his inward parts are being reconstructed with the inward parts of Christ. So he learned to live Christ, right? exercising even to live and walk according to the Spirit, which is just one with the Spirit of Christ, representing the person of Christ in us. Now, we'll do the same thing as this morning. We'll spend maybe four or five minutes uh, allowing you to just share with each other, the one next to you, four or five of you, just share whatever uh, you enjoy. Or, you know, just uh, uh, so that maybe after that, we can have an open sharing, okay? Four or five minutes.